Let us listen for the word of God from the prophet Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is Our Righteousness. And from the Gospel according to Luke, this passage is called the Mini-Apocalypse. Jesus is with his friends, but he is telling them about when he will return. And he says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among the nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world for the heavens. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. And as so often happens, what Jesus says next, if you've been listening, will be a huge shock because we might be anticipating cowering in fear with all the others who are fainting with fear and foreboding. But no, this is what Jesus tells his friends. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on your guard, so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live in the on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. So this is the first Sunday of Advent. If I looked back at all of the Advent sermons I have preached over the last eight years, I'm pretty sure they would all hinge on this same theme. Advent is not Christmas. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's change the channel if we hear the Christmas carols playing. Let's save them. Let's not get too eager to live right into the story of the birth of Jesus. 
let's save it, let's not be like this consumerist culture and start celebrating Christmas the day after Thanksgiving and stop celebrating Christmas on Christmas night. Christmas is supposed to begin on December 25th and go until Epiphany. So I've always preached this sort of coy wonderment, like we'll stand alongside the prophets and wait and watch and hope and dream and pretend with this coy amazement that we don't know what's coming. And maybe now I'm cynical. But I've changed my mind about Advent. So I'm going to give you a spoiler alert and tell you I'm going right to the heart of Christmas next. All right? It's snowing out. It is snowing. This is the story we are preparing ourselves for. Join me in the last phrase. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in bands of cloth, and she laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. How can we make room for the Christ child who is coming? If we look around, will we see that we have room or will we see that we have none? Maybe Advent should be about making room. The Christmas carols, which just listen to them when they come on the radio, they're going to keep returning to this point. There's no room. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The innkeeper, who was never mentioned in the scriptures, Riley, I think you were the in- were you the innkeeper last year before you were Joseph? Two years ago. <laughs> He's not in the Gospels, but we write him into the Christmas pageant every year. So there's a beleaguered young man saying, I am so sorry. You'll have to stay with my animals. I have no room in the inn, but it will be warm and dry there. And then he shows Mary and Joseph off to the stable. So let's make room for the Christ child. And we're going to start with the completely trivial, practical, and mundane and move toward the more spiritual, because I think they are all connected. Joshua Becker is a former pastor, now blogger, who I love, who writes a blog called Becoming Minimalist. And he says that the average American home has 300,000 objects in it. That is staggering. There are some people, like the angel gifts for people living in a shelter where the children have lost all of their toys, everything they have, don't have enough changes of clothes. And for them, we gather gifts. But for many of us, when we think about buying Christmas presents for our friends, our family members, our neighbors, we know we are adding to that number of 300,000 objects. We know people's closets are overstuffed. We know that when they try to open their kitchen drawers, there's a spatula just stuck in the way. We know that people rent storage units. 
They have pods. We cannot contain all of the things that we have. We read articles about what to get the person who has everything, right? Well, one of the things you could get the person who has everything, Joshua Becker writes, is this wonderful list, which I'm going to post to our church's Facebook page after. But he separates things into clutter-free gift ideas, experiences. Now, you have to know the person well, because one person might want a carriage ride, and one person might want an escape room, while another might want to go play laser tag. So keep the person in mind. But you could give someone an experience. You could give them a membership to their favorite art museum, to their favorite podcast, to their community pool. You could give them a farm share. Or if you have little ones in your life, you could give them their yearly membership to Stepping Stones, that excellent children's museum in Norwalk. You could give them the gift of time. You could promise to babysit. Or you could give them a prepared meal. You could give them consumables. Who wouldn't want chocolate or coffee beans for Christmas? All of these things don't add to the clutter in your home. And the reason he says we should do this is that 53% of people report to receiving unwanted gifts during Christmas. $16 billion is wasted on unwanted gifts. Does that not make you sad? 18% of the gifts, he says, are never used, and four are immediately thrown into the trash. My own personal favorite ideas are giving to charities in the name of the person you want to give a gift to. So... The IRRC, our Interfaith Refugee Resettlement Committee, my parents just gave me a birthday present of a gift to that fund in the church. Burroughs Community Center for our woven community, Nourish Mercy Learning Center, Operation Hope, and this is a way to leave space, to leave space in the home of the person you're giving the gift to and to be thoughtful about what you're doing with your consumption. So now let's look at the bigger picture, not just our closets and our junk drawers and our storage units, but how all of these things, if we are in this group of people who have this excess, is how it makes you feel. How does it feel when you feel surrounded by piles of clutter? So I have to confess, I have minimalism as an interest of mine, but I can't say I'm very good at living it out. If you came over to my home on any given day, my children's friends would be over, and I would have an excess of small people, (laughs) Legos, books, um, craft projects, pets, and a few other things that don't cause me stress. It's the things that we have in excess in our lives that bother us, like piled up junk mail and things that we really don't want or need. This makes us feel overwhelmed and overburdened. So it also wastes our time as we search for things that we can't find that we actually need. But our minds and our hearts and our souls need a good cleaning out, just like our junk drawer every now and then. So I think the next thing we need to do is make room in our lives. Last year, we had so much more room, so much more free time. And this year, I don't know if we've hung on to those lessons or if we're starting to overschedule and overbook ourselves already and if we just are starting to feel tired. There was a sociological study 
a few years back that was done, I think, on a college campus. And the, the scientists took a group of people, and they told them they were doing this study. The people had agreed to be in the study, but as so often happens, what they were really studying is not what the people had assumed. So they were in one building on a college campus taking a series of tests, and then the scientists would say to them, okay, now you have to go to another building across the way to finish the test. And to half of the people, they said, you better hurry because you're almost late. And to the other half, they said, you have plenty of time to get there. And they had staged a person in the way between one building and the other who was very clearly in distress and in need of help. And the people who stopped to help so much more often were the ones who knew they had plenty of time. The person we might rush past in our busyness is Christ. Have we made room for him in our lives if we don't slow down enough to stop and think about the people who are actually in need? Because he tells us what we do to those who are in need, we do to him. So we trust that if we make space in our lives, God will use us and use that space that we have made for something holy. The best tip that I have learned that I haven't practiced yet is that you aren't done decluttering when you have shoehorned everything you have into a good spot, but when you have made room, when you have an empty drawer, an empty box in your workroom, an empty shelf. So let's seek that emptiness. And finally, we need to make room in our souls. I turn to the words of the psalmist because they reflect what Jesus was telling his friends when he did not want them to be caught in a trap. The psalmist feels that same way, just like our Christmas sets us up for the way we usually practice it, is just caught in a trap. The psalmist prays to God, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Friends, I think the net that the psalmist is caught in is this net of his own guilt. When he's praying to God, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, I think it's not God remembering them, it's the psalmist. It's the psalmist not feeling forgiven for things that happened ages and ages ago, not trusting in God's goodness to let it go. Do we have souls that feel like overstuffed junk drawers so that when we pray, we just feel overburdened with things we haven't let go of? But if we trust in God, if we turn to God, We can lay all these things at God's feet and only keep what we need. We can let go of the wrongs because God's already forgiven them. We can let go of the hurts. We can let go of the things that continue to weigh us down and have a lightness so that when we remember that Jesus is coming, 
when we picture him coming on the clouds, we won't be trying to untangle our feet from this net. We won't be looking down at everything holding us back. We'll be ready to hold our heads up and see him coming, to throw our shoulders back and trust that he's coming as a redeemer to save us. God will pluck our feet out of the net if we will let ourselves be forgiven. It's not our practice very often to say a confession, but what happens after you confess and you hear an assurance of pardon is you clear out space, you clear out room, you open yourself up to that weightlessness, that lightness, that willingness to make room for God. So if you will open your bulletin, we have a prayer of confession, which we will say together, and then I will leave silence for you to make your own confessions, and then we will close with an assurance of pardon, trusting that this will make room for us. So friends, let us pray together. Merciful God, have mercy on our souls, according to your unwavering love, according to your abundant mercy. Wipe away our sins and the guilt we have carried for so long. Instead, write on our hearts your love, your boundaries for our lives, your salvation that sets us free from our sins. Help us to live the abundant life you have for each of us. Lord, we would see Jesus. We would love Jesus. We would follow Jesus. We would serve Jesus. Lord, create in us clean hearts. Renew your spirit within us. Do not turn us away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with willing spirit. Write on our hearts your love, O God. Friends, hear this good news. There is nothing you have ever done that has stopped God from loving you. God has always loved you. God loves you now. God will always love you. You are a forgiven people. So make room in your hearts to welcome the Christ child. Amen.